gospel comes to us today from the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and he said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John the Baptist what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed being shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So what did we go out to the river to see? Last week we started with that same question, what were you going to hear? Today we ask ourselves, what did you go to see? Jesus himself speaks to, the, uh, to the, those who are following him just after this conversation between John's minions or John's disciples, so to speak, who are coming to inquire, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Or did we miss the point? Did we miss it? Are you not actually the one? And Jesus looks at his followers, he looks at everyone listening to him, and he asks them, what did you go out to see? A reed being shaken in the wind? In other words, did you go down to the riverbanks just to stare at the cactus or at the, at the cattails quivering in the wind? Absolutely not. That's not what you went out to see. Did you go down to the river to see someone in fancy robes lounging in a chair speaking to you in some profound way, like some philosopher? Not even close. Jesus points out that you went down to the river to see a prophet. Everyone in the countryside, everyone back up in Jerusalem and down in Jericho, they've heard of the guy with the unkempt hair, the well, camel's robes and a belt sashed around his waist, eating locusts and wild honey. They were going out to see a unique individual, to say the least, but they were going to go witness and listen to someone who was going to boldly preach, boldly bring in the Messiah, the Mashiach. They knew what they were going to look for, and the truth is, they got what they were hoping for. They got the prophet. And Jesus, as he says, John the Baptist is the prophet of prophets. Why, you might ask? Because I don't think any of us ever really thought of John the Baptist as the prophet of prophets. If I were to ask any of you who are somewhat biblically knowledgeable, who was the greatest prophet in the biblical story, I'm sure maybe you'd say, well, there was Jeremiah, there was Isaiah, or my personal favorite, Ezekiel. But the truth is, 
They weren't the greatest of all prophets. John the Baptist was. Why? Because the prophets early on prophesied about John the Baptist, who would be prophesying about Jesus. So when John the Baptist is having his weak moment from prison this morning, and he's asking, Jesus himself says, John, go back and read your Bible. Even the prophets were prophesying about you, who was going to make the way for the Messiah, you who is going to point your finger right at the one who has come. And John did it. As he was there preaching the sermon that needed to be preached, as he brought the cultural criticism to the way, as he gave hope and a message that the Messiah has finally arrived, Jesus himself comes down the banks and John points right at him with his finger and he says, there he is. He is the Messiah, and He is here for you. But this morning, something's gotten in John's head. Something has gotten in John's conscience. John has spent his entire life preaching the sermons that needed to be preached. As preachers all across the countryside grow weak and grow comfortable, and grow more interested in patting the pews and being comfortable and bringing everyone to understand that Jesus loves you, which is true, but that is the message that they always stop at. As the preachers grow comfortable, John never had interest in being comfortable. Amen? It's even in his description. The only way Scripture can describe him is a man who was uncomfortable, but a man who was comfortable amongst the discomfort. He was more interested in paving the way for Christ than he ever was in paving the way for himself. But on this day in prison, as John is now in a dungeon in a cell of King Herod's palace down by the Dead Sea, as John the Baptist is there in his cell, will never see the light of day ever again, he begins to question. He begins to question God. He begins to question who the Savior really might be. John asks what we all ask as well at points in our lives. Are you really, are you truly the only one? Are you really my Savior? And I think each and every one of us can resonate with John at a point in our lives. Maybe it's when the credit card debt is racking up and our mortgage is due and we're struggling financially and we find ourselves asking God, I've been praying for assistance, I've been praying for help, I've been praying for wisdom. Are you listening? Are you the one? Are you my Savior? Or maybe when all of a sudden we've been praying for security in our lives and all of a sudden that job is swept out from underneath us and there again we find ourselves on bended knees saying, are you Jesus? Are you the one? Are you God? Are you listening? Are you my Savior? Or maybe we find out our child is diagnosed with a terminal disease and that just simply does not make sense. Amen? And there we are in the hospital bed watching our child connected to all the tubes and all the wires asking, are you, Lord, are you really my Savior? Or our loved one that we've been married to for years, decades have passed, and you finally have to let go. And we cling 
once again to the words given to us, wondering, are you my Savior? And in the meantime, each and every one of us, as we face our own challenges in life, as we face our own persecutions in life, as persecution for our faith for the first time ever in American history is starting to befall us. I don't know if any of you have followed the news this week. We've got cases all in the Supreme Court and district courts, all in the name of Christians, exerting their, pers their personal faith and now being ridiculed for it. As those moments happen and our conscience begins to wane, we start looking for our saviors elsewhere. We start looking for our saviors in the politicians and the courtrooms, amongst our peers, who maybe will just give us that affirmation we need, even if it means that we shirk our faith in the ways of the messages we receive. Just like John the Baptist, we too find ourselves in the dungeon saying, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that I pointed to years ago? And Jesus responds with this. Go back. Report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. When Jesus points out the miracles, he's not pointing out the miracles as though it's some docket or some resume in which he's proving of anything. In fact, what Jesus is do doing is he's reciting Isaiah 61 all over again, saying, John, remember everything that you preached? It's coming true. The miracles point to the promise. The miracles point to the gospel. The miracles are pointing out to John that indeed Christ is the Messiah that he had been preaching to. Period. That's it. It's not a comparison. So when we spend the rest of our lives looking for the miracle and expecting the miracle, the miracle was never there just for a miracle. The miracle was there to point to John that Christ, in fact, came. The question we ask ourselves is, do we trust it? Do we believe it? Do we cling to it? Or do we quickly become fickle, weak, and move on to the next God in our life? Because just like John, we always choose comparisons. John's one weak link. The reason why Jesus goes on to say, he says this, What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about who it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he, who is least in the kingdom of heaven, is greater than John. You are all greater than John, not because you have the ability to figure out your life's problems and solve it. Amen? Amen? If you've figured out the magic ticket to life and you've solved all of your life's problems, I give you permission. You don't need to be here ever again. But that's not the case. We have the opportunity to be greater than John because the gift we receive is outside 
the laws of the world. John's stumbling block. John's stumbling block in this prison cell this morning. John's stumbling block in this final days of his ministry. It's because John can do nothing but wrap his head around the laws of the world, around the comparisons of the world. When he is at his weakest, what does he need? He needs proof. But the good news for each of us is we don't need the proof. We just need to cling to the promise. So stop looking for the proof. Stop looking for the measurements. Like John, we too choose the, the, the comparisons in the law. We choose others to solve our problems and think that it's going to solve the world. We call others the Savior. We chase others as our Savior. But here's the thing. Everyone else, everything else that we turned into God's dies. Fascinating Savior, amen? But Christ didn't. He was raised from the dead. He's the only being on earth that is raised, to the de- raised from the dead and then ascended on beyond us. And as he says in the gospel, as he ascends, he's going to prepare a way for each and every one of us. The thing we need to get out of ourselves is our broken conscience as we sit in our dungeon cells. Because as Christ is off there preparing our way, we are down here trying to find different gods and solutions. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is all that matters. And that's all that matters for John. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you do not need to compare the ways of the world. You do not need to seek out a new God. You do not need to seek out every solution and answer. What you need is to simply rest in Christ, in Christ alone. John did his work. And he still has a Savior to remind him that he did his job and did it well. In these final days of our Advent season, remind yourself, Christ is enough. His promise is enough. His mercy, our forgiveness, is indeed enough. So find the light of day, come out of the cell, and follow Christ in Christ alone. Thanks be to God.